Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. For more information, visit us online at LifeGateBurleson.com. going on and what God is doing here, and, uh, and God is moving. Aren't you excited about what God is doing in your church and community? All right, I can tell. All right. It's good. God's good. You know God's good? Turn to your neighbor and tell him God is good. God is good. I've known, as he said in the video, I've known your pastor for uh, a long time. We graduated college about five years ago together, and... Um, and uh, and uh, been best friends, good friends, great friends ever since. And, um, and so you learn about some people when you live with them, right? You do. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious if, uh, from his two girls that are here this morning, if he still does what he used to do in college. And so, you know, your, your uh, pastor tends to be a little bit of a, he likes organization, Think the street term would be neat freak, and um, still that way. Yes, yeah. And so in college, the only man I've ever known that would iron his socks before he put them in the drawer. Does he still do that? He gave that up. All right, well, that's good. That's good. Or you just don't want to say. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right, too. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's great to be here today. I, what an honor it is uh, to be here. Um, I was sitting in his office. He's like, just use the office and get ready and, you know, whatever you need. And, and so I was noticing, you know, he just got everything in its place, like, the, like the, 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 the cup that holds all the pins. I'm sitting in his desk, and I'm just kind of looking around, and the cup that holds all the pins, all the pins are, like, laying over on the same side, and... And he's got everything in his place. Found his candy stash. It's hidden, but I found it. So he's going to have a little bit less than he had when he left. But all's good. All's good. Great to be with you this morning. It really is. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's good to see you. Good to see you. I am really excited to have some really good friends of ours in service. I say ours. My family's not with me today, but... Um, of mine, uh, James and Ginger Carnell with their daughter Catherine. Uh, they just recently transitioned to Burleson, and, uh, and uh, they're here today. I'm the, I, did I tell you about this church? Yes? I thought I did. And uh, um, James was the youth pastor that I was saved under at 18 years old. And uh, yeah, he was my youth pastor. A long time ago. Your gray hair says it a lot more than mine does. That's a long time ago. Ginger still has, she, she has no grace. She's still doing good. She's doing good. He married really young. And so, kind of like your pastor. So anyways, here we go. Here we go. Mark chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 8. How many of you brought your Bibles this morning? All right, all right, all right. 
Don't get on to your kids about taking their books to school. If you don't bring your Bibles to church, just saying, just saying, just saying. <laughs> For those of you that forgot, it'll be up on the screen today. I was reminded of a story um, about a young couple named Paul and Amanda who um, had just recently gotten married. And, and uh, about a couple months after they, they got married, after their wedding, Amanda noticed that Paul was no longer wearing her wedding ring, his wedding ring. And so she confronted him about it. She goes, how come, you know, the last couple of days I've noticed you not wearing your wedding ring anymore. Why is that? He looked at her and he said, well, you know, it cuts off my circulation. And she put her shoulders on his, his her hands on his shoulders and she looked him straight in the eyes and she goes, Paul, it's supposed to. <laughs> it is supposed to cut off your circulation. In other words, you got married, you're off the market, you're not circulating anywhere anymore. You're off the market. Cutting off your circulation. Off the market. In Mark chapter 8, where we're about to read, um, Jesus is, in essence, telling the disciples and the crowd kind of that same thing. You're off the market. Not with marriage. But with spiritual agendas. With the life that God is calling you to live. In fact, what, what he is saying to them in essence, and we're about to read, is, is that when you choose to follow me, you're off the market. You're no longer going to give way to the things that this world and to life and to culture and everything else that wants to dictate that you do or that you desire to do. You're off the market. When you choose to follow me, you choose to follow me, which means that you belong to me. You're off the market. You're no longer circulating between both worlds. You're no longer riding the fence. You're no longer doing what you want to do. You're off the market. The, the title of today's message is just simply giving the game. And it's not going to probably go the direction you think it is when you hear about giving. But it's about what we're about to read here in Mark chapter 8. Let's go ahead and skip forward to 34, if you don't mind, just for the sake of time. In context, Jesus um, had just fed 4,000 uh, with, four, uh, with, with just a few loaves and a few fish. And, and he, 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 the disciples had been in an argument. They were mad at each other because nobody brought enough bread. Jesus looks at him and says, these, these folks haven't eaten in three days. What do we got? And the disciples are like, you didn't, bring any, you didn't bring anything. And so Jesus says, tell me what we have. We got this many loaves of bread. We've got this many. And so he blessed them. He broke them. He fed everybody. And then he goes into telling the disciples that, and the crowd that, that in just a few short days, not too long from now, uh, I'm going to be giving up my life. He was telling them about his faith, right? He was telling them that, that I'm going to be uh, put to death, but then I'm going to rise again. I'm going to rise from the dead. And Peter, when hearing this, doesn't like what he hears. Because like all of us, we have, we, we know what we want. And we like what we want. And when you start getting into people's emotions and relationships and things like that, we don't want people dictating to us what we want and what we don't want. And so Peter goes, well, I'm not going to let that happen to you. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, get behind me, Satan, because you're not in charge. Then we jump to verse 34. Jesus is talking to everybody there, right? 
Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any, of you would, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And, you will, and, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is, is anyone, uh, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in this adulterous and sinful generation, uh, in, this, in this adulterous and sinful days, another, another translation says, in this generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I read this scripture, this verse this week, this uh, passage of scripture. And I was taken back to a book that I had read a number of years ago, and I've read it a couple of times. One of my favorite books by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship. Has anybody read that book? Anybody? I'll, I'll tell you more about Dietrich here in just a little bit. But this is what he said in his book that I want to draw attention to. It's kind of a, a theme today, if you will, that if you don't leave any, if you don't hear anything else, I want you to remember what he wrote here. He said, salvation is free. But discipleship will cost you your life. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. I want, to, I want to dig into that for a moment. And what does it mean that it's going to cost you your life? Well, Jesus starts off in verse 34, and he does it with a call. And the call is to the disciples. The call is to the one disciple that would also walk away from him later and, and betray him. But the call was also to everybody in that crowd that day. It was, a, it was a blanket call to whoever wants to follow me. These are some things that you must do to get there, right? It was a blanket call, and he's calling them together. He's huddling the group together, all the, the, the entire group, and he's, because he's got something important that he wants to say. And what he ends up saying in the first few verses of 34 through about 36 or so is he's laying out what does it mean? What are the requirements? What are the sacrifices that one must make to be a disciple? And there's a couple of things that stand out to me that I want to, that I just want to leave you with this morning that, that just kind of spoke to me. The first requirement that Jesus puts out there about being a disciple is a word just simply called desire. Turn to your neighbor and say desire. 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 He said this, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, in other words, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It all starts in your heart with a desire to want to know God more, and to, to, to want to be who he wants you to be, to have a relationship with him. I, I like how, I like how um, another translation, the New King, Version, New King James Version says it this way, whoever desires come after me. The one that we read earlier says, if any of you wants to be my follower, it's about desire, right? It's about desire. I love the call that goes out because Jesus is talking to the disciples, even the one that, that would betray. He's also talking to um, the entire group. And it's, and, and it, and it's, and it's uh, kind of ironic today, if you will, and not really ironic, but just... Uh, Crazy to think about that that's, those same three groups exist 
even today. You have those that are disciples that are in church everywhere all over the country this morning and really all over the world. And you also have the group that are on the outside that are just trying to figure out who is this Jesus? What do I want to believe? How does this mesh and line up with my life? Is this something that I want to devote myself to? And you also have those that know where they are and know where they don't want to go. All three groups today still exist, but that call was for everybody. Because Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. You know what that means? That nobody in the building this morning is, is, is perfect. We're all sinners. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. And all of us need a Savior that can set our life straight. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. But we can yield to it and accept it. He said, in, uh, Luke wrote in Acts 10.34... Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I love that phrase, come after me. Because the idea behind that phrase is a movement, right? We like to live this life in a way where it says, God, I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to set my course. I'm going to, I'm going to follow my path. And God, what I want you to do is bless it. You get behind me and you bless what I do. I have dreams, I have ambitions, I have goals, I have things that I want to do. And God, what I need you for is to bless what I do. God doesn't do that. The idea here in Mark 8.34 is that he says, come follow me. That means that when we accept the Lord into our heart and we yield our life to him to say, Lord, you not only will I ask you to be my Lord, but I want you to be my Savior. That means that I'm going to follow behind you. I'm going to be like the disciples had when they had the three and a half years of ministry with him, where wherever he went, I can imagine when he was walking next to the shore and making footprints in the sand that you had guys that were just doing that very thing. Right? The idea is a movement that we get behind what he's doing. I told my church all the time that, that we don't decide what happens in our community and ask God to bless it. We figure out what God's doing in our community, and we get involved with what he wants to do. We get in lockstep with what he wants to do. He sets the course. We follow behind. We get in his footsteps. Do you have a desire to follow Jesus as a disciple? Do you have that desire? Because at the end of the day, people do what people want to do. Nobody can make you do anything. God's not going to force his hand upon you to do this, to do that. It has to be a desire deep in our hearts to say, Lord, I want more of you, and I want my life to glorify you. Yeah. That's where it ends. That's where it begins. It takes will. It takes sacrifice. It takes all of that. Uh, Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And there is nothing on earth that I desire Besides you. What did he say? Salvation is free. But discipleship will cost you your life. Salvation is free. But discipleship will cost you your life. Here's the second thing that he lays out. Turn to your neighbor and say denial. 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 Right? We don't like that word. But listen to what he says here in verse 34. Let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. Because everything within us screams at that word right there. We don't want it. We're wrapped in a flesh that wants to do what it wants to do. We don't like that term denial. We don't like thinking about that word denial. 
In fact, one Bible dictionary puts it like this, uh, defines it as to disown or renounce self, to subjugate all works, interests, and enjoyments. Denial. Not just a river. It's a real thing that God uh, asks of us. Denial, right? Denial. Listen to what Luke said. Jesus said in Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He lays it out. In other words, nothing in your life ought to come before Jesus. Nothing in my life ought to come before Jesus. And an interesting note here is that there's a big difference between denying self and self-denial. You know, choosing not to eat chocolate for a couple of weeks, that's one thing. Denying self means I stop thinking that I'm always right. No, no nudges into your husband's ribs, right? Always thinking that I'm right. Stop living on my own power. It means that I refuse to pursue my own pleasures because I no longer belong to myself. I no longer belong to myself. Who do I belong to? Jesus. Jesus. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. He says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In essence, Paul is saying, I must give up my right to run my own life because I no longer own my own life. I no longer own what I want to do. It's what Jesus wants to do through me. In fact, John Calvin put it this way. He said, self-denial is the sum of all the Christian life. Because we're always going to battle what we want to do compared to what God wants to do through us. There will always be this tension, this struggle. Because we wrap in the flesh and live in a culture that says, you, 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 you. You are your focus. You need to get ahead. Take care of number one. Do what you want to do, however you want to do it. Don't worry about anybody else. It's all about you. And Paul comes along and says, mm, you were bought with a price. You're a believer. Jesus is your Lord. That means you submit all to him. All to him. It's not about you. It's about him and what he wants to do. I um, had a rough day last Wednesday. Anybody have a rough day lately? Let's see if it compares. Not trying to be a story stacker here, okay? Just want to tell you about my experience. So, anybody here love dogs? I mean, you're an animal lover. Just, just it's okay. Just you're in the house. You can raise your hand and admit it. It's all right. How many of you tolerate? Because you live with an animal lover. Okay, I understand. I got some hands being thrown down right now. Don't you dare raise your hand. Okay, well that's the that's the same thing between my wife and I. She is an animal lover. She loves dogs. She, she loves all animals. If it's breathing, she loves it unless it's a snake, right? The only thing she wishes did not exist on this planet. And so, anyways, um, we have two dogs, right? I have a 100-pound black lab, and, um, and he's just a sweet boy. But we also have my wife's dog. <laughs> Anybody ever heard of a sheep-a-doodle? It's, I, I saw the, yes, I got a yes, I got a yes. A sheep-a-doodle is an intentional cross between a sheepdog and a standard poodle. Right? It's one of these, 
breeze that, you know, you know, the, you know what I mean, right? When you spend way too much for it, you should have gone to the pound, that kind of dog, right? And so she got this dog, and she loves this dog, guys. She, she, she greets this dog in the morning. She greets this dog at night. She's with this dog. She hugs this dog. She loves this dog. I tolerate this dog. And so last Wednesday, when we're gone, um, uh, they stay in, a, in their kennels. And last Wednesday, I get home right after lunch, and I unlock the front door, and I almost pass out. Won't go into detail. I'll spare you. But let's just say that that, that sheep and noodle had uh, more than a doodle. All right? Had a major accident. Something didn't agree. And thank the Lord Jesus we have time. Right? So I'm like, I can't even get in the door. It is just awful. My first thought is close the door, lock it, go back to work. She'll be home in a few hours. She can deal with all of this. Right? That was my first thought. Then I was sitting in my car, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, if I don't get the smell out, it's going to be with us all night long. That's what I'm thinking. So I text my wife, please come home. Please. For the love of Jesus, please come home. Please. Please, I don't want to do this. I don't even know what to do. I don't know how to handle this situation because I don't even want to be in this situation. Right? I don't know what to do. And so she just says, I can't come home. I love you, but this is your thing. you got to take care of it. You, pick, you, you walked in the right door. Ding, 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 ding. You're the winner. You get to take care of it. Right? And so, and so, and so I, I, I put on my big boy pants. And I walk in the door, and my first thought is, okay, i got to take care of this. I need, I need gasoline and matches, because we're just going to burn the whole thing down, and we're going to start all over again. That's what, that's what if i got to do, I'm going to do. And so anyways, I, long story short, I clean it up. Um, I take a shower. I burn my clothes. And I, I walk back in. I walk back in, and, and it's happened again. It's happened again. Again. And it was awful. So I go through the whole rigmarole again. I, I do it all over again and take a shower, burn my clothes. And then I, I come back in, I peek around the corner, and we're good. I left her in the backyard the rest of the day, and, and, and all is well. Here's the point. Everything in my flesh said, run. <laughs> run. Let your wife take care of this. This is her dog. This is her dog, her dog. But I chose to serve my wife. I chose to deny how I was feeling in order to serve her. I didn't do what I wanted to do. I did what was best for my family, and I did what I should have done. There's a story uh, there's, a, there's a song by Mercy Me called So Long Self. Anybody ever heard of that song, So Long Self? Listen to the lyrics of this verse, the, this, this, uh, this song. Well, if I come across a little bit distant, it's just because I am. Things just seem a little bit different, uh, you understand. Believe it or not, but life is not apparently about me anyways. 
But I have met the one who is really worthy. So let me say, so long self. Well, it's been fun, but I have found someone else. So long self. There's no room for two, so you have got to move. So long self. Don't take this wrong, but you are wrong for me. Farewell. Oh well. Goodbye. Don't cry. So long self. Now, if I was saying that to you, you'd be appalled, okay? Like the Holy Spirit would step out, get some coffee, and when I finished singing, he would come back in again, right? I don't sing. I don't sing. But the point of the lyric is so clear, right? And the question that I have is, when was the last time you broke up with yourself? When was the last time that you stopped making the focus about you and what you wanted and your rights, and you said, Lord, take control? about denial. It's about denying what's supposed to happen, what I want to do. Very quickly, because I got to run. I got I to make this quick. Third thing. The third characteristic you see in a disciple is found as well in verse 34. Jesus said, take up his cross. Take up his cross. Deny himself to take up his cross. The third characteristic is death. 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 Turn to your neighbor and say, well, just say death. Don't say death to you, just death. Just death, right? Back then, tens of thousands of people were crucified on a cross during Jesus' lifetime because it was known as an execution. It was known as a punishment. Only convicted criminals would take up a cross. And when you saw somebody, if you were living back then, and you saw somebody take up that death march where they picked up their cross and they began walking to where the execution would take place, you knew, you knew what was happening you knew that that was a convicted criminal, and you knew that that person was in for an execution. That they, on that walk, they were saying goodbye so long to everybody that they would see along the way. You knew that that person was leaving everything behind. There would be no return, and, and it was an excruciating, painful death that was in front of them. We live in a culture today that has completely taken death out of the meaning of the cross and has romanticized it. Right? We hang it on necks and walls, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But then you'll hear statements like this. Statements like, well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. I guess that's just my cross to bear. And we'll often associate that statement with things like, oh, I hate my boss. But God wants me here, so I guess it's just my cross to bear. Or I got to go to this family reunion, and I really don't like my aunt. Oh, she gets on my nerves. She gets on my ever-loving nerve. But I guess it's just my cross to bear. I got, I got to do it once a, once a year. I can do it once a year. It's just my cross to bear. The reality is, is that the cross was an excruciating, excruciating, painful death. It was humiliating. It was excruciating. And it was very real to those that were going through it. We're to die to our rights is the death that is referred to here. We're dying to our rights R.C. Ryle put it this way, J.C. Ryle put it this way, a religion which costs you nothing is worth nothing. We're talking about death. We're talking about death. In his book, he goes on to say, talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he goes on to spell, say this, and this was back in the 40s when he wrote this. He says, we live in a time of cheap grace and easy believism where Christianity is more known for health and wealth than for surrender, sacrifice, and service. It's more known for what can 
Jesus add to my life? What can Jesus give me? How can he bless me? How can he um, uh, make me stand out? How can he give me the life that I want to live? When in reality, that's not how the Bible at all describes discipleship and being a follower. It was, about, it was about sacrifice. It was about surrender. It was about service. It was nothing about me and everything about the person in front of me that Jesus wanted to be ministered to or introduced to Jesus. It was always about others. He was always about others. And we've lost that. And I love what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh... Now, the flesh, I live by faith in the Son who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer my life. When I choose to die to self, I'm saying, Lord, be my Lord. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my all in all. I trust you. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Very quickly, here's the fourth one. Turn to your neighbor and say devotion. Desire, denial, death, and devotion. Verse 34 says this, and he said, and follow me. And follow me. In other words, it's constantly following him every day. At the core of the word disciple means to be a learner. It means to be a, a follower. And I love the story, not, not because it's, because it had a happy ending, because for all we know, it didn't have a happy ending. But in Mark chapter 10, there's a, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, point blank, he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus doesn't pull any punches with him. Jesus says, if you want eternal life, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Give up everything, renounce everything that you have, and then come follow me. And verse 22 says that he went away sorrowful. He went away sorrowful. Why? Because he couldn't, he couldn't cross that threshold. He couldn't take his devotion off of his stuff in order to follow the one that could give him everything. He was too tied to his stuff. Could you imagine if Jesus seeing him walking away would have walked up to him and said, wait, 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 wait. I was just kidding. It's not really that tough. Look, keep your stuff uh, uh, and, and just, just follow me on the weekends. It's okay. Just follow me on the weekends. You know, figure out where I'm going to be. News will travel through the grapevine. Do your thing during the week and on weekends, come, you come see me. And we'll make it happen. We'll make it work. We'll, we'll, we'll do good. Did that happen? didn't happen. Jesus doesn't water down the requirements of discipleship. He doesn't lower the bar to being a disciple. He says, look, if you want to be a disciple, take up your cross, follow me, deny yourself and follow me. There's a desire there. There's a denial that takes place, but there's a devotion to him because you're being, you're saying, I am more devoted to you, Jesus, than anything or anyone else in my life. It's all about you. It's all about you. We struggle with that. Jesus challenged his idolatry of self in pursuit of possessions, and he walked away sorrowful. 
Discipleship is demanding. The man was sad, but he wouldn't deny himself or put to death his devotion to material things. Mark chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus said it like this, And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He just lays it out. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't lower the bar for anybody. He doesn't discriminate, saying the bar is here for you, but it's here for you. This is the bar. This is what you have to do if you want to be my disciple. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, his cross, daily, and follow me. It's a devotion that was second to none. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs you your life. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in the early 40s. He was a German pastor that spoke out against Nazism and Hitler very openly. He was arrested for it. And did he back away from his comments and his criticism? Did he, did he just say, you know what? <laughs> I love you, Jesus, but it's not worth getting arrested for it. I love you, Jesus, but I really don't like being in this concentration camp, so, so I'm just going to renounce you in voice, but, but as soon as I get out, I'll, I'll, I'll serve you again. He didn't do that. He was devoted even to death. And 21 days before Hitler died, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung in a Nazi prison camp for his faith and for speaking out. Never once turned his back. His devotion was strong. To the end. There's three warnings, and you can stand with me. Three warnings that Jesus gives in closing to, to those that pursue. Verse 35, he gives the first warning. He says, for, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Here's the first warning Jesus gives at the end of that verse. If your life is all that matters, you'll lose it. If the focus of your life is you, you'll lose your life. If your life is all that matters, you'll lose it. When you settle the surrender issue and you commit to follow Christ at any cost, you'll end up saving your life. That's what Jesus is speaking to. Here's a second warning he gave. It's found in verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his own soul? And what can a man give in return for his soul? Second warning that Jesus gives is this, speaking directly, if he could, to the rich young ruler in that moment. If your success is all that matters to you, your soul will perish. So if your life is all about you and the focus is all about you, you'll lose your life. If success is all that matters to you, you'll perish. Your soul will. Jesus here uses financial terms, right? Profit, forfeit, return. And the point is, you can find success and end up in hell. We don't like to say that word. We don't like to talk about the opposite of heaven, right? But the reality is reality. When your soul perishes because your focus in your life is on all the wrong things, it goes to the third point that he makes. The final warning that he makes is this. In verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes to the glory of the Father and his holy angels. The third warning and the final warning that Jesus gives in Mark 8 is if you reject him, he'll reject you. If you reject him, he'll reject you. 
If your life is all that matters to you, you'll lose it. If success is all that matters to you, you'll lose your soul over it. And if you reject it, you too will be rejected. Dietrich, in his book, would spell out the difference between being a believer and being a disciple. You know that there's a difference? You know that you can be a believer and not be a disciple? Because you can believe that Jesus is real. You can even go through all of the motions, right? You can come to church on a regular basis. You can associate with all the right people. You can even have your Bible and, 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 and do on the outside what looks real while on the inside your heart never changes. You can be a believer and not be a disciple. There's a, there's a threshold you have to cross. There's a line that you have to be willing to step over. There's a new commitment to your life that you have to be willing to make in serving him and following him to go from a believer to a disciple. You can be a believer and not be a disciple, but guess what? You can't be a disciple and not be a believer. It only works one way and it doesn't work the other. He's looking for disciples. People that are learners, people that would follow after him, people that would, that would be with him and that would allow an intimate relationship with him to change the world through them. He's looking for people that would commit to service and sacrifice on his behalf. We're really good at saying, God, use me today and, and, and glorify me. But the prayer we almost never pray is, God, use me today and be glorified through me at my expense. That whole little, little phrase there at the end changes everything about that prayer. Because when we say, at my expense, that's not something a believer would ever pray. But it's something that a disciple should pray every day. God, use me. Be glorified in me. My life is yours. Do whatever you want to do through me today. At my expense. In other words, whatever you want, whatever you want, it's yours. Whatever I've got, Lord, it's yours. It's yours. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't lower the bar. He says, this is what it takes to follow me. This is what it takes to be a disciple. This right here. The word spells it out. This is what it takes. The question this morning is this. We're having a moment of honesty between us and the Lord. Would we call ourselves a, a believer or a disciple? Only you know that. Nobody can answer that question for you. But more importantly, the question is, how would God answer that over your life? If you ask the Lord, am I a believer or a disciple, what would his response be? That's the question. Have you given it all up? Have you, have you relinquished and renounced everything for his sake? That's what he's looking for. That's the person that will change the world. That's the person that he will use. That's the person that he can walk through and speak through. That's the church that will change a community. Sold out disciples. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you, God, for who you are in us, Lord Jesus. I thank you for all of it because, because Lord, it's, it's a daily reminder, Lord, that of, of laying down this life for you. It's a daily reminder of, of lining up with you, not asking you to line up with me.
Jesus, today, would you just speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you just speak to our hearts today? Help us to understand and know where we are in that relationship with you. If we're a disciple or a believer, who sits on the throne of our heart? Are you having to co-pilot, Lord, or is our heart yours through and through? Will you speak to every one of us today and have your way in us, Lord Jesus? Let this be a year of commitment and devotion, Lord, to being sold out for you every area of our life. To being a learner and a follower. In Jesus' name.